Father, you, you are a good father. You are the healer. You are the redeemer, Jesus. You call back to life things that were dead. There's nobody like our God. Father, I pray for our hearts to be open, our ears to be open, to hear you this morning speak through me, that I would only speak your words, that I would only do what I see you doing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. How are you all this morning? Start in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verse 24. I've brought this one up several times um, in the last several times I've, um, I've taught. God keeps bringing me back here, so apparently I'm missing it or not getting it all. So I'm just going to keep doing it until I get it correct. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, or God and mammon. So one thing God told me the other day, a couple weeks ago, was that um, this is a foundational principle to the way he created the universe, right? You cannot have two gods. Either you're going to serve your own God, excluding the real God, or you're going to serve the real God and exclude everything else. And one thing he said was that it's typically, it's typically taught don't put mammon in front of God, right? Don't put money in front of God. Don't put yourself in front of God. Don't put idols in front of God. But it works the other way too, right? If we commit to God, we cannot, by definition, we cannot serve anything else, right? And so he framed it in more of a positive way uh, for me. Serve me so that you will not serve everything else. Similarly, Paul talks about this in Romans Romans 6, verse 14. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves as someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience which leads to righteousness. We hold the power to decide who we obey, right? That is, at the very least, the one thing that we control. God gave us free will um, because he was looking for a people who would freely love him. And the only way to do that is to give them a choice to love him or not. So we fundamentally have a choice to obey God or to not obey God, to love God or not obey God, not love God, to listen to God or not listen to God. 
If nothing else, that, that is the choice that we are here on this earth to make. And you're a slave to whom you obey. Whether sin, which leads to death, or a slave to obedience, which leads to life. Um, again, he hits this principle in chapter 8. Verse 9, you, however, are controlled not by sinful nature, but by the Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in you, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Here it is. And if, and if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives through you. I was in the wrong verse. Sorry, verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. It is impossible to please God if you are controlled by sinful desires. Unfortunately, sinful desires are natural, right? We are born into sin because of humanity's falling in Eden. So we have to, we have to die to ourselves. We literally have to die to our desires because we are powerless to please God if we stay in our natural sinful nature. Fortunately, we have a path to get there. Back to Romans 6, what sh- verse 1. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If you've been united with him like this in death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Why was Abraham the father of our faith? Hebrews talks, you know, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed, he believed God against the evidence of his senses, right? He believed that God, first, he believed God that that God would fulfill his promise to give him an heir. And secondly, the, the, the final test was, do you believe God and his promise even past death, right? Are you willing to sacrifice what God gave you and kill it? Are you willing to kill it knowing that God will still be faithful? 
And so it's exactly that faith, right? The faith that God can raise to life again. That is, that is the faith that we profess as Christians. You have faith that Jesus was raised again, right? If Jesus just died for our sins, he's no better than a sacrificial lamb, right? Which he took the place of because he was better than a sacrificial lamb. We believe that God raised him to life again, that he conquered sin and death once and for all. So you're literally putting your faith into the idea that God and Jesus have power over even death. The next step, not only do we have salvation because Jesus paid our sins, you reflect that faith back on yourself and have faith that God can turn what is dead inside you alive again. That is, the, that is why Abraham is the father of our faith, because you're, you're putting your faith in God that he can <clears throat> make what was dead alive again. So, how do we display this service? What is service? Glad you asked. If you flip over to chapter 12 in Romans, verse 1 will tell you. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So it's just what we talked about, right? Your worship is a reflection of your faith, that you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, knowing that God is going to raise it from the dead and make it alive. You cannot, you cannot be the thing God created you to be on your own. You need God to do it for you. All right, Romans 3.23. What does Romans 3.23 say? All the kids in Awana should know this one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You fall short of the glory of God. Sorry to tell you. Burst your bubble. You fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? It's not just that you fall short of God's glory, right? Of course you fall short of God's glory. You're not God. If we look over 1 Corinthians 11. What does it say? Talking about worship, propriety and worship. 11.7 says, A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. You are the glory of God, is what it just said. You are the glory of God. It's not that you fall short of God's glory. It's that you fall short of the glory God intended you to be. Without God, you cannot fulfill in your life the purpose God created you Four. That's why propriety and worship is necessary. That's why who you serve matters. Because if you're serving not God, if you're serving sin, that leads only to death. The only way to get to life, right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to get to life, and life more abundantly is to die to yourself and serve God, service being presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. What else is service? How about 
Oh, here's a good one. John, uh, John 4. This is uh, Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. he says, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Right? We have that right there. What does it mean to worship the Father and Spirit? It's very similar to him talking in Romans 8, verse 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if you... If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. The sons of God are the ones who worship Him. The only way you become a son of God is to be led by the Spirit of God. Right? The only way we have access to call God Abba, Father, is because we've received a spirit of sonship. The same spirit that Jesus had, right? Jesus was the son of God and, and was an heir to God. And now we become co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. How do we get there? We share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I liked all that other part. I didn't like that part. Let's see. What else? We started in Matthew 6. Go back there. <clears throat> no one can serve two masters. If you look right before it, Jesus is giving you how to live. Verse 1, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness to be seen by men. If you do, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So how are you supposed to live? So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth. They have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. One, give to the needy. You have to die to a natural to your, to your natural self, right? To give to somebody who is not you or your family. It is natural to look after you and your family. It's not natural to look after everybody else. That is presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. Further, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. This is how you should pray, our Father who... In heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also forgive those who have debts against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
from the evil one. For if you forgive men, and le- yeah, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you. How do you, what is it talking about dying to yourself? Offenses against you. Forgiving others is not natural. But when you realize you need forgiveness from the Father, of course you're willing to forgive anybody else because the Father so generously pours out his forgiveness. Further, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces and show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they receive their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. It is not natural to fast. And fasting isn't just food. It's, it can be whatever. God's told me to fast TV or phone or uh, sometimes food. Um, that's not natural. But what it is is you're showing God that he's more important to you than those things. That is the dying to yourself. That is the living sacrifice that he's wanting to see. And there's a dichotomy here, right? You have the hypocrites who, by all evidence, they look like they're doing the right things. And you have those who do them genuinely. And God says, if you do them genuinely, don't do it for others to see, right? Because it's not about praise for men. It's about your father seeing what you do. And, of course, he'll see whatever you do. He sees what's in your heart. So, you have the hypocrites, and you have the people who are are genuine in their presenting themselves as a living sacrifice. What is the benefit of being genuine? You store for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust cannot destroy, thieves cannot break in and steal. And he follows that up with no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He throws that in at the end, but that's really where you start, right? Who you serve is what makes you... If you're serving money, if you're serving men or whatever. You're seeking after things that are not from God. You're seeking after treasures which are not from God, which are not eternal. If you if you serve God, you're seeking after eternal things. And that will lead you to not being a hypocrite in your giving, in your prayer, in your fasting. <coughs> This is the same uh, principle in, so go back to Romans 8. There's an interesting phrase here. Verse 12, therefore, brothers, we have an obligation to live according to the Spirit. Why do we have an obligation? Well, we know that we were made in God's image, right? That's Genesis 1 verse 26 or so. We're made in his image and we're also made 
to be his glory, right? That was what 1 Corinthians said. Man is the image and glory of God. Before when you were (coughs) sinful, you didn't have... You didn't have the option, right? You, you, by definition, could not please God because you were living according to sinful desires. Now, when you're freed from sin through Jesus, God then gives you the choice. Okay, you're freed from sin. Are you going to get up from your chains and follow me, or are you not? It's only when you're released from your chains that you have the choice to get up or not. You have an obligation to get up and live according to how God has made you. He made you for a purpose. There's a there's a, a movement, a philosophical movement in the world that's I mean it's forever old, but it's it's gained steam since World War II. Life is meaningless. Life doesn't have a purpose. You see this in John Paul Sartre. You see this in a lot of the... There's like a, uh, a human depression that we entered into after World War II. It's like, ugh, that was so terrible. Life is meaningless. And now we're to a point where this, this mindset is so pervasive, you don't even have to say it. Kids just know it. They know that life is meaningless, Right? Because they see you acting like life is meaningless. And God's saying, no, life, I made you for a purpose. What does it mean to be made in God's image? Well, let's go back to Genesis. We'll see how this plays out. Genesis 1. God's making everything. Let there be light. Let there be water. Blah, blah, blah. And then he gets to verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So we see a couple things here. Let them rule. That, that gives us our purpose. We are here to have authority over what God created. We are kings and priests, right? We have a royal authority to carry out God's purpose in this world. That is, that is fundamental. You can't run from it. That is fundamental. That's what you are here to do. The other thing, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. What does that mean? That we look like God? I don't know. I don't know what... God exactly looks like. But throughout this whole chapter, what do we see God looking like? He's creating things. God gives us, as humans, the power to create. In in the same way, he gives us the power of free will, right? This is what it means to be made in his image. We are free creatures with the ability to be creative. We are more than animals. I, I was reminded of back when I was little and you know at some point when you're a kid you learn that we're animals because we don't 
I guess you don't think of yourself as an animal until, until somebody says, well, actually, we're animals. And so, as snotty kids are wont to do, I, I took this to the dinner table, and when my mom said that I needed to use manners or whatever, I don't need to use manners, I'm an animal. Yeah, you're an animal, but you're more than an animal, right? That's why we have manners. That's why we we are above animals. We display that through things like manners. Something as simple as being polite is, in a sense, presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, right? It is not in your animal instinct to be polite, I mean, maybe like a quid pro quo sort of, I'll do this because it benefits me sort of way, but not, not a real sort of politeness. Yeah, my mom shut down that one pretty quick. The things we try to get away with as kids. So we're creators. What does that mean, that we are creators? I'm glad you asked. Go to Proverbs 18. God gives you a power that we don't necessarily step up to or acknowledge very often. Proverbs 18.21 The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Your words are creative, and creative in a sense that they have the power of life and death. Do we treat our words as if they matter to the point of life and death? Not usually. We're pretty flippant about our words, right? All right, so let's go to James. James 1. Verse 26, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Your religion is worthless if you don't care about your words. That's pretty harsh. All this that we are doing, all this praising means nothing if you don't care about what comes out of your mouth. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Are we polluted by the world? The world's pretty nasty. It's hard not to be polluted by the world. How does, how does the world pollute you? Maybe through what you hear, what you see, what you think about. All right, let's go back to Matthew. Tidbit thrown in. The eye is the lamp of the body. 
verse 22, 622. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This is after talking about storing treasures, right? Either in heaven or on earth. Whether to be a hypocrite or not to be a hypocrite. If you serve God, the light of God will be reflected out of you. If you serve anything other than God, the darkness of that thing will be reflected out of you. Skip over to Matthew 12. Twelve thirty-three. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say something good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have been spoken, that they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. There's a lot there. Out of the overflow of your heart the mouth speaks. If the light which is in you is light, the words you speak are going to be light. If the darkness is in, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great that darkness will be, that darkness is going to come out in your words. You will be held accountable for every careless word that you have spoken. I've spoken a lot of careless words. That should, that should put the fear of God in you right there. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. This is the same principle that you see uh, in the parable of the talents where the, the guy comes, Master, I know you are a harsh man. You reap where you do not sow, blah, blah, blah. And he says, you, you condemn yourself with your words. When God gives us freedom, right, we are free creatures to choose who we serve. When God gives us freedom... That comes with the obligation to do the right thing. It's not just freedom for freedom's sake. It's freedom to do the thing God intended you to do. To say the thing God intended you to say. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. This is the same principle, right? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of... The goodness or badness of a tree does it fruit. John 15 says it this way. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown in the fire and burned. 
If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. How do you bear good fruit? You make sure you're part of the right vine. Words without action are dead, right? Faith without works is dead. Doesn't matter what you profess. All the hypocrites profess the same thing. It matters what you do. Mark 11 has an image. It shows this. Mark 11, verse 20. In the morning as they went along, they saw a fig tree withered. Oh, no, sorry, that's later. Uh, Mark 11, 12. The next day they were leaving. Bethany, Jesus was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf. He went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached out, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Later, verse 20, In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Power of life and death. Why did, why did he kill the tree? It seems a little harsh, right? <clears throat> I mean, it even says it was not the season for figs. So why should Jesus expect any figs? It's not the season for figs. Why would he be so upset that, why would he be so upset that a fig tree not in season is not producing fruit? That seems ridiculous. It's because it was a fig tree in leaf, right? It was a fig tree that had leaves. And the way fig trees work is, um, I want to say it's like in May or so, they start getting their leaves. And in getting their leaves, uh, when they're full of leaves, that's when they fruit. Well, this was right after Passover, obviously, in the, in the story. So it's, it's early. It's not the season. This is like March or April. It was not the season for figs, but it had the leaves. It had the leaves signifying that it should have fruit, but it didn't. And this was an image to those who are hypocrites. Don't profess to have figs by your leaves if you don't have figs, right? It would be better not to have leaves and not to have figs than to have leaves and no figs. Because when you profess to have figs by having leaves, you're held accountable for having figs. Does that make sense? So can you change your fruit? Can you change your fruit? This is important, right? If you're producing bad fruit, you know you're not part of a good vine, can you change your vine? Of course you can. Otherwise, what are we here for? Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. How do we change our tree or vine to something good? Short answer, you you can't do it. Not on your own. Romans 12. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. It's not you that changes. It's 
God working through you. It's the sanctification process of, of you submitting to the Holy Spirit, choosing to be a slave to obedience, which leads to life, and the Holy Spirit having the authority, because you give it the authority in your life. You have the, you have the power to resist God, right? God gives you that power. That is what free will is, to, to resist God. So as long as you resist God, he can't work through you. Whenever you submit yourself to God, you allow God to work through you. The Holy Spirit will transform you by the renewing of your mind. Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction And the one who sows to please the spirit from that spirit will reap eternal life. Again, this is a principle where you always hear in the negative. Don't reap bad things or you're going to sow or don't sow bad things or you're going to reap bad things. But it's also positive, too. If you if you sow to the spirit, you will reap spiritual reward. How do we do that? How do we sow? Go to John 12. John 12, 24. I tell you the truth. This is Jesus talking. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it. The man who hates his life in this world will keep it. For eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. How do you sow? The process of sowing is, is killing a seed, right? You kill a seed, put it in the ground, and it grows. This is the same process of dying to yourself, of, of making yourself a living sacrifice. If you choose to make yourself a living sacrifice, God uses that as a seed to work his good work through you. What is that good work? That good, well, let's just look at it. Right? Jesus said that we're going to, let's just look at it. Remember we learned in Romans 8, we are heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Share in his sufferings. Why is that important? Because back in Romans 5 it says, We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You cannot have God grow your character into hope, into an actual lasting hope, if you do not go through the suffering which God has for you. Unless you present yourself as a living sacrifice, literally kill your flesh and allow God to grow that seed into something that is actually alive. That's the only way we get to this hope. Why is that hope important? Because it's only through that hope and standing in that hope that you can accomplish the thing that God intended you to accomplish. 
right? Ephesians 6. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Uh, Verse 14. Stand firm then with your belt of truth buckled around your waist. Oh, wait. Verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and having done everything to stand. You will not be able to stand your ground if, like in Hebrews 12, your ground is shaken. The only way that you get ground that does not shake is to build your foundation on the only firm foundation, which is Jesus. The only way to stand against the day of evil, when the day of evil comes, the only way you're going to stand your ground is if you are firmly planted in hope on Christ. And you only get that hope through going through the suffering which God has for you. And again, you have the freedom to short-circuit this process. God gives you the freedom of will to choose to serve him, be a slave to obedience, which produces life, or to serve yourself, or mammon, or whatever is not him. But if if you're not serving God, if you're not sowing to the Spirit, you will not reap spiritual blessing. You know, I have a lot more. Uh, we weren't going to have church tonight, were we? Can I can I just do it later? Can I, can we have church tonight, and I can just go over this later? I know it's getting late, and I have a lot left. <laughs> Is that okay? You want to come back tonight? You don't have to. Right? God gives you the free choice to come back tonight or not. <laughs> and don't don't take this neg- don't take this the wrong way. I'm I'm not going to guilt trip you into coming. To love Jesus, right? <laughs> but I have, a, I, have a, I have a lot more, and um, I don't want to overload you with too much right now. Let's do that. Let's can we can we do that? Come back tonight uh, because it's important. Where where God is taking us? I'll just preview this. Where God is taking us is we we have to commit to serving God. And laying our life down for God so that God can grow us into the person he needs to be for the task which he has us to accomplish, right? For where God is taking us as Christians, right, when the day of evil comes. We're headed towards the day of evil, if y'all didn't know that. And if, if, if we're not prepared, we're going to be like the virgins that didn't have oil. And... They were left out in the dark where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. Pretty harsh, but they weren't prepared. So I want to get to a point where how do, how do we prepare ourselves for our battle? What does is, what is our preparation look like? And further, what is our battle plan? And that's where we'll go tonight. Um, I learned a... <clears throat> At church camp a couple of years ago, one of the one of the ladies there was talking about how she was giving advice for how to teach kids, and she was saying, you know, I don't teach more minutes in a row than they are old, right? So if they're eight years old, I don't teach continuously for more than eight minutes because their attention span is long. And so I've been teaching for 
about an hour, and so most of y'all are, are about 60, I assume, and uh, I know y'all's attention span is waning. So I know Carol's, Carol's the only one in here that's still going with me. Um, now let's break for lunch, go get some rest, and come back, and we will uh, worship God again. Good? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for um, the life that you have, that you are preparing us for, that you're growing us into. We thank you for uh, being a good God who is faithful, one that we can rely on. We put our hope in and our faith. Jesus, thank you for dying and giving us the way to life. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for working in us, transforming us by the renewing of our mind into the image of Christ. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.